especially for new treatments. We were, uh, we had already uh, several patients here from Ukraine and from Russia when the war started. And uh, in fact, Ukrainian families uh, were not a problem. They stayed with us, no problem. But Russian families started to have financial problems to uh, survive in Barcelona. So they, uh, as soon as they finished their treatments, they asked to go uh, very quickly and give back deposits in, in, uh, in cash so that they, they, they would be able to fly back to Russia. Uh, our hospital as uh, a European hospital is um, belonging to the net of hospitals who is giving free service to all the Ukrainian refugees. So we have been receiving by the uh, public system uh, several families. And, but this has not uh, stopped the requests of private treatments in our hospital that we are dealing uh, very delicately uh, with um, helping them to find uh, financial help in foundations. And in, in this way, we are still receiving some of some quite a little amount of families that are coming, are still coming to our hospital, financed by uh, foundations in around Europe. Okay. So uh, we are afraid that this is going to affect us very seriously, especially from Russian market. But Ukrainian uh, families will uh, keep on coming in a, in a lower quantity, of course, but they are still coming to our hospital privately too. This is uh, the, the situation here in Spain. Thank you. Dr. Sinan, can we hear from you next? You need to click unmute. Okay. Yes. Thank you for organizing this event. It's quite important topic. Uh, as we have started uh, recently receiving patients from Russia and Ukraine, we were very focused on this region. Specifically, we just started our, uh, especially digital marketing activities right at the time when the pandemic has started. Uh, after that, we have also uh, started uh, to receive patients. And these were, uh, interestingly, uh, patients who were seeking for tertiary treatments like oncology, bone marrow of uh, liver uh, transplants, uh, rather than simple uh, hair transplant or aesthetic surgeries, which are very popular at the moment in Turkey. Uh, this also uh, was very promising from our side. Uh, it was a new market for us because Turkey was known as a sun sea fun uh, destination among Russians and former Russian countries. But this time, uh, Russians and Ukrainians were seeking uh, healthcare services, quality healthcare services in our country. Formerly, they were used to go to either Germany, Christian probably will tell about it more in detail, or Israel, because uh, many Russian doctors are connected with their uh, counterparts in Israel. Uh, when the war started, we fortunately didn't have 
patients, uh, inpatient uh, guests at our facilities. Uh, there are several issues right now. There are leads who wish to come, but because of the finance, uh, because of the uh, uh, sanctions, uh, there are certain logistics and financial issues. Uh, they can transfer uh, financial resources. They can't even organize their uh, travels uh, to Turkey. Uh, Russians, in a way, can achieve it because Turkish Airlines and Red Wings, they still continue their flights. But Ukrainians, they come uh, over passing the border to another country and then uh, flying to Istanbul or driving by car to Istanbul. Uh, you mentioned about some patient stories. It's interesting that we have three ladies who are uh, supposed to have deliveries at our hospital from Ukraine. So one of them uh, is about, but two are pending and waiting for the right time. Uh, they have brought the resources cash with them. Uh, as they are not very expensive, such uh, procedures, uh, they can uh, afford it. But uh, if, it, if it is about a, a organ transplantation, for example, uh, they, they really suffer uh, for providing the resources. At the moment, I would like to stop here and then I will continue in the later cycles. Thank you, Dr. Saman. And Kristen, can we hear what you're seeing on the ground in Germany? Sure, thank you very much. Um, well, it, to give you a historic picture of our organization, we used to treat approximately 2,000 patients from all over the globe. And traditionally, in the past 20 years, half of them were actually from Russian-speaking countries or the countries uh, of the former Soviet Union, uh, so the CIS. Um, now, of course, there is barely any Russian-speaking patients. So from Russia, definitely, there's it's limited completely due to the multitude of, the, let's say, restrictions. One of them, of course, is the sanctions, travel restrictions, the issues with the finances. And also what we see in Germany is hospitals outright refusing to treat any Russian patients, uh, which is a very, uh, I would say, critical issue because these are often patients um, grabbed out of the middle of society who used to come to Germany regularly for the, either their checkups, but also serious cases, uh, pediatric cases. Um, and of course, these hospitals seem to have their reasoning, but um, we have seen two, um, let's say, popular cases in Germany, one of university hospital that has just outright refused to treat Russian patients. They later issued a, st a statement and trying to retract it to a certain degree. Um, but you have the sentiment amongst many of the hospitals that they will not treat Russian patients even if they need the treatment. Um, so some of them have just completely shut down their Russian operations in order to avoid any kinds of conflicts. Um, and this is a topic I can or I will comment on later to a certain extent. Um, for Ukrainian patients, you have um, the, the medical tourism has also gone down, it has been reduced, um, but hospitals are very open to treat refugees from the war or even offer to them the medical services they would have 
had in their country if they had needed it and that they of course now cannot make use of anymore um regarding patient stories often on my desk i get these cases where there is actual issues so this might pertain to russian uh, to russian patients or uh, ukrainian patients and i have one story of a patient who was scheduled to have heart surgery in a german hospital that uh, refused to treat him and they basically cancelled this heart surgery it's uh, for him it's an essential surgery so it's not something he's doing out of um, any kind of of uh, well it's um, it's not a cosmetic case i mean heart surgery nearly ever is or never is and now we are trying to find treatment for this patient so to shed some light on this case this is not a politically exposed person this is not somebody with any links to the government in russia that would for some people justify this cause of action and this is a patient who's basically stuck in limbo now he has the financial resources because he has financial resources outside of russia but the hospital just cancelled his treatment last minute he was already in country and so we are currently trying to help him with some of our partner hospitals to find treatment to get this over with and then he can go with Mary Ray but this is what we see what I hear from our partner hospitals um, that many treatments are being cancelled and there's patients and I think this is the best way to put it is they are stuck in limbo they cannot some of them cannot go back easily some of them have issues in continuing treatment they have started so it's it's a difficult situation at the moment Thank you very much, Christian. And last but not least, Khalid, if you would, please. Hello, everyone. And I would like to first thank uh, Irving and Elizabeth for organizing this event. Uh, it's a pleasure for us to be participating. And just like the rest of the panelists, uh, of course, it has affected our um, hospitals, business with Ukraine and uh, Russia negatively. I mean, Ukraine has been a major market for us for several years, especially for patients coming for serious illnesses like bone marrow transplant, oncology treatments, radiation oncology treatments, and uh, serious neurosurgery cases. And even when the conflict started, we had patients here, and some of them are still here, and they couldn't go back. and. Uh, from Ukraine, we have been admitting patients from both, um, both from governmental institutions and individual patients. And now they are having some difficulties in funding these patients and uh, it's not easy for them to go on their treatment. That's why, of course, affected negatively. And uh, just for one instance, uh, one patient we were planning to admit just when the conflict started, patient couldn't come, patient needed one marrow transplant. So we had, had to arrange a flight for the patient from Romania to Istanbul. I mean, the patient barely made it. It, it, it was such a difficult journey for them. But because of the sanctions that the uh, other panelists mentioned, it's now very hard to, for patients to uh, pay for it the treatment services they receive here. And uh, the thing is, the, the, the current patients we have here, now they cannot go, go back. And uh, we are hosting them, of course. We have our guest houses here because we admit more than 35,000 patients from all over the world in a year. So, but uh, we don't know how long will it uh, continue like this. So it's such a bad situation at the moment. And uh, 
I believe that that's all for the moment, and uh, I'll continue the next question. Thank you. Thank you very much um, to all of you. Obviously, we're starting to hear some common themes already uh, that patients are not unexpectedly being stranded where they are, challenges with uh, returning, challenges with accessing care in their intended destination or possibly being diverted. Um, and uh, of course, uh, particularly for Russians, getting access to any kind of currencies that are being accepted. So I think that leads into your next question, Irving. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, the, there, are, there are several common themes here, and one of them has to do with finances. So I'd like to change up the order a little bit and, and ask Talib and then the other panelists, how are the finances being handled now? And what models do you see emerging? So we've got two classes of actually three classes of consumers, right? We've got the Russians and their challenges because the financial system has basically excised Russian payment systems. So the first is the Russians, the second are the Ukrainians, and then everyone else. So what financial models do you see emerging to help deal with those medical travelers who are caught in this uh, crisis. So as you have just mentioned, we have two models here. Uh, the first one, patients are paying out of their own pocket, I mean, individually, and the, the second model, the governments or funds financing for them. If we speak for the Ukrainians, the second, I mean, the, the second option, the funds or the government will not be able to found any treatment, but they have to uh, pay for themselves. And for the moment, or before we have admitted patients from Russia, and now the numbers are increasing because people are leaving the country, even for uh, receiving a vaccination for COVID-19, they are coming to Turkey, and we have received several patients uh, in the previous weeks. And of course, they are paying by themselves, but for some serious treatments, it will not be possible for them to carry the, the amount of money they need for the treatment. So as far as we see, the cryptocurrency will be an option for the patients to transfer the money, but uh, I, I don't know if it is applicable for the uh, economics of the country, so it's allowed by the country, exactly. There are some other options like um, the local transfer systems of Russia, where uh, some of the Turkish banks have agreement with or had agreement with before. And uh, I believe their names are like Mir, M-I-R. And uh, a, sec a, a second option is the one that uh, the chi Chinese are using, the Union Pay. Uh, the Russian uh, banks have agreement with Union Pay, and two banks, two or three banks in Turkey have agreement with Union Pay as well. So that 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 could be a new model of paying for the treatment of the patients because it's urgent and it, it needs to be paid anyhow. So, so thank you. Thank you, Tal. Uh, Christian, what are you saying? What and what can you envision with regards to payment models? 
well, what we are seeing is that facilitators are starting to take a more, more of an active role again in uh, payment transfers. This actually has changed over the past when banks, try, uh, where hospitals try to um, centralize all these services by themselves, which I, I do understand and I support to, to the more, um, to the, yeah, well, to the most extent, because of course they want to make sure there's no interference by any any intermediaries. Uh, but of course, facilitators have a have far more flexibility in how they operate their businesses. They can just easily register on any kind of payment transfer platform, and by this adapt to the patients. So this is one of the options. What's also happening with most Russian patients is they will go back to cash payments at the moment, and uh, they run of course into the AML anti-money laundering issue because most German hospitals, and I think this, I speak for most of Europe or the entire world, are now trying to step away from cash payments. Um, and hospitals are still trying to reopen this pipeline for those patients who come who have certain kinds of uh, urgent and larger surgeries, which of course are very uh, financially demanding. And it is sometimes a weird picture to see patients pay up to the tens, fifteen hundred thousand euros in, in cash, but hospitals have to adapt if they want to continue to provide treatment because there's no other options for these patients. Um, the, what what uh, Talit mentioned regarding crypto, I think is a very interesting thought. Uh, for now, I cannot envision it happening, at least in Germany, because hospitals do not have the knowledge by any means to deal with cryptocurrency. And until this is set up, I and mean, we have seen how much time general modes of um, digitalization have taken, and for hospitals to step into the crypto market, so to speak, or offer this as a payment solution, I don't think this is going to be caused by this. Of course, in the let's say long term, five to ten years, I, I can envision it. But for now, I think the only thing that is going to remain is at some point to uh, have the facilitators stay with their more active role, offer diverse payment methods to the patients, especially from Russia, and then we have to see how it develops. It's it's very hard to make any kind of prediction on this from my end. Very interesting, Christian. Uh, thank you. We can certainly have a conversation about dragging hospitals into the crypto domain, digital currency. Uh, Dr. Sinan, your observations about this? You're muted, Dr. Sinan. My, my, okay. Uh, my experience is pretty much similar to Talib's uh, experience. Our uh, patients, in such instances, we realize how create, creative a human being can be. So, as I have mentioned to you, uh, Turkey was known for Sansi and Fun, and they used to pay uh, their uh, trips uh, by Mircart or Union Pay. So we are thinking about uh, topping up the Mircart and spending the money uh, by using this cart at healthcare facilities. Uh, this is the most probable option. The second one, this is very interesting. In Turkey, there is a huge trend for uh, real estate developments. Many people from the region are buying flats or houses and get Turkish passport in return. So our Russian 
guests also started to shift their resources from the EU zone to Turkey in order to keep uh, their uh, finances, financial capabilities in a safe zone uh, in case of a sanction uh, will be uh, put uh, into the sea. Uh, so uh, active uh, transfer of uh, such resources, financial resources, will also enable us to provide them uh, healthcare services in the future. Interesting observation about human creativity, Dr. Sinan. Yeah. And I, su I suppose if people have an asset in the destination where they're traveling for care, they can somehow leverage that asset. They can liquidate a portion of it or borrow against it uh, for medical care. And uh, Patricia, what are you seeing with regards to financing care of uh, the children at uh, St. Jean de Deo? Our experience is not that uh, it's not so so wide. Uh, we uh, in fact, uh, about our, our Russian patients in fact have have stopped uh, transferring or coming or whatever. So we do not have an experience. We know that they can do transfer. They can, they can transfer money through union uh, through this system in China. Uh, but in fact, we have not received anything through this system and. Uh, there's a, another problem that uh, Russian benefactors that are, were some of the, the most important uh, uh, agents that, that used to facilitate the, uh, the arrival of these patients to our country have uh, completely disappeared from somewhere. They are somewhere, but they, we don't have any, anything now. And Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian patients do uh, have easily... Um, they obtain funds from the from the foundations that are uh, paying for them, and they obtain funds from European uh, people or people around the world that are able to transfer to these uh, foundations. So the the transfer to our hospital later it's very easy, and this is the only way we can we can receive money from them and we can they can pay their treatments. I assume that the the the, the thing is that as we are attending. Uh, Child, children, uh, maybe uh, foundations are can obtain uh, more easier in easier way um, funds from from donations now. But of course, we are attending uh, Russian ch children and also Ukrainian children. We do yes. not make a difference. Yes, it's a very interesting observation about the humanitarian perspective of foundations. And I wonder if in everyone is talking about how the clinical category of individuals who are seeking care or getting stranded, these are people who are very sick. And I'm wondering if the other types of foundations or charitable organizations might emerge as a way of providing some of this funding, perhaps in specific clinical categories. Really interesting. And I think Elizabeth is going to field the next set of questions. Um, just a, a follow-on question to the discussion about finances and how it interacts with patient care. 
because for these patients who are now stranded um, in one, one, of, one destination or another, it has to interfere with their treatment plans. If they can't return home uh, for their post-discharge care uh, for one reason or another, or um, for Ukrainians, if they simply um, are afraid to return or can't return, how, first of all, how does that, how does the situation impact patient care and the delivery of patient care? And second of all, how, how financially can, what role do hospitals or healthcare providers or facilitators play in now helping these patients and, and their families, if they're children and, and families, um, now start to cover costs outside of medical care, their housing, food, uh, and other things that they will need for some period of time. Um, so Patricia, would, would you like to start with that, please? Oh, yes. Uh, well, in Spain, as far as you know, uh, we have a, a social security system and also our government has uh, um, has applied a law to uh, all these refugees, so they are allowed to obtain their, their residence permission and also their, their working permission immediately as far as they, they arrive to Spain. So these families are also um, attended by social security um, services that are working to give them a shelter and food and whatever they may need, of course, and also education for the kids. So they are immediately uh, admitted to a public school in, in Spain. So they are, uh, all their needs are covered by our social security system. Um, this is not something that <laughs> is helping our business, of course, no? But uh, there's an emergency situation. So for now, from now, in, in a period for one or two years, Spain is going to, um, I don't know the word in English, they are going to, uh, they are going to admit all these families uh, here in Spain and they are going to, uh, to legalize their situation immediately uh, as soon as they arrive to our airports or the train stations or they cross our borders. I think all Europe is, actuating, is acting almost the same. Uh, so for them, it's very easy to pass from one system to the other. So if, uh, for uh, the families that were here already when the war started, they know they are going to receive a free uh, flood and a free uh, way of uh, buying uh, food and so on. And the kids are going to go to school. So we are trying to help these families. For them, uh, I think it's easy. Not for the Russian families, but of course, uh, if the kids are, are being attending in our hospital, they are going to be attended as well as any Ukrainian kid. Thank you. Dr. Sinan, would you like to reply? Uh, Turkey's position is uh, different than Spain's or Germany's, we already have received 5 million refugees from Syria uh, who are being uh, covered, uh, supported by the government. So I would also uh, 
prefer to get refugees from Russia or Ukraine, but uh, the uh, capacities are uh, overloaded in Turkey in this respect. So Turkey won't be able to assist in this respect. Uh, the private healthcare sector uh, will uh, continue to provide uh, fee for services, uh, fee for uh, service out of the pocket uh, services for uh, such uh, patients. So I would like to add uh, one of my uh, interesting uh, observations. Families try to overcome this uh, sanctions uh, by traveling uh, the whole family. So if a patient who requires a liver transplantation, for example, for let's say 70,000 US dollars, seven members of the family each being allowed to carry $10,000, accompany the patient in order to provide the necessary uh, finances. This is also one of our interesting observations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, people are un unlimitedly creative, especially yeah. in these challenging situations. Um, Christian, from the perspective of the facilitator, are you being called on to do, uh, you mentioned uh, providers turning to facilitators uh, for financial uh, creativity. Are you also being called on uh, in additional ways, new ways that perhaps weren't part of your traditional role? Rarely ever, uh, it hasn't, hasn't occurred yet and I don't think it will. Um, the same goes actually for the hospitals. The hospitals stick to their lane. They continue to provide medical services when they can. And we have the similar situation or basically a mirror situation to what um, Patricia has mentioned. It's that Germany has offered uh, the Ukrainian refugees to come to Germany to get a work permit for up to three years to have residency. They were being provided an access to, to social services, which of course includes accommodation and schooling, whatever they need. So these patients will then, of course, have access to the German healthcare system as uh, socially or um, statutory insured patients, which is a change for these hospitals. But I have not yet seen anybody complain about this. Um, facilitators in Germany, medical tourism facilitators, have they are really specialized in providing either medical services or assisting in the provision of medical services or in general business purposes. So there's many patients approaching um, facilitators for investment advice, finding real estate similar uh, to the situation in Turkey, but nobody is really approaching facilitators with the idea in mind to have them in any way involved in the process. We have offered to hospitals to, to provide our skills in medical tourism management and consulting to provide pipelines to these patients although the need is very very limited as uh, i have mentioned before they are basically admitted as statutory insured patients so there is no need for any kind of certain other pipeline and they are just basically following their daily operations very good thank you so much Talib, your comments well, i totally agree with dr snan and uh, if this is about the ref refugees I believe it will be more more about the governmental hospitals that we have in Turkey. They have been serving refugees from different post-war countries. So it will be related to them. And mainly when 
Turkey receive, receives refugees from a post-war country, they provide per, uh, temporary identification cards for them. And if the private hospitals are affiliated with the national insurance system already, then those patients can have medical treatments done in private hospitals as well, just like the uh, Turkish citizens. So I believe it is uh, more about the government hospitals, but as Dr. Sinan mentioned, we, the, the private hospitals will be serving for patients being out of the pockets, I believe. Very good, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and Irving? Well, to, the, to create a round robin, so we've got quite a few questions from the participants, but uh, the final round from the panelists would be around your informed best guesses about how this is going to play out over time. What will be the impacts, the consequences, the intermediate and long-term changes that you expect to see in the cross-border trade in medical services in, in particular? Um, what do you what do you see as you look even just around the corner and down down the down the timeline a ways? Uh, Talib, would you take that first, please? Sure. Thank you. So uh, I believe this will be a definite drawback for the sector of medical tourism. I mean, people having treatment overseas, and at least uh, the, even even though everything settles down very soon. At least it will be, I believe, 10 years for everything to reach to the same level as it was. And uh, on behalf of our hospital, we were planning several investments in Ukraine and Russia as well, but we stopped all of them because we couldn't take the risk. We couldn't foresee what the situation will become. And um, in my personal opinion, uh, people from Russia will be coming to Turkey more and more because it's close. And uh, as Dr. Sinan mentioned, there are options of living in Turkey by buying a residence a flat or, and getting a residence permit, even a citizenship. So people will be coming from Russia to Turkey uh, easily and more. And also Ukrainian people, I believe there are more than 2 million, two million Ukrainians living in Russia. So they are somehow trying to get out of the country. So they have Turkey as an option, of course, as a close country. So that's why I will, I think even though we'll receive more patients from those countries, it will be hard to invest and broaden the strategy of uh, our marketing activities in, in those countries, in both of them. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating perspective. Uh, Christian? Well, I, I think we are at a pivot now. Um, the, the thing is, we have the situation that first of all, we have uncertainty. Uncertainty usually is the death to every market. And especially in the healthcare industry, I think, or in the medical tourism, international healthcare industry, we have the situation that patients do not know will they receive treatment similar to what we have seen in the COVID pandemic, but I would say on a, 
level that is far more relevant to our to, to, to our society, to each of any one of us. And what really bothers me is hospitals refusing to treat patients based on their nationality, because this usually always uh, impacts the wrong patient. And I'm, I'm not going to say that's a wrong or a right patient, but to put it in a more simplistic way, we have seen throughout every crisis. There have been sanctions imposed on Russia 10 or 15 years ago. I do not remember exactly when it was. But what we have seen is that certain patients, affluent patients, those who are politically exposed, can actually still access the country. They will still receive medical treatment because they have outside funds. So, And then on the other hand, you have patients impacted who have no connection to any government, who have basically just gone there go or live their life in Russia, and they came to Germany to receive medical treatment, and then there was an obstacle for them they could not overcome. So the, the, the situation I see is, and this could then for the future, could be basically ported to every other nation or nationality. If there is another conflict in the world, patients must then be afraid that they will not receive medical treatment, necessary medical treatment in a country. And I'm really, I, I really, at this time and in general, I do not really want to speak and care about the political perspective i really care about the human perspective perspective here and this is what you set this meeting up for and this is why i i um, was happy to join it and this is something that is not being discussed a lot in general and i'm glad we are doing it now because it's patients suffering patients who have not taken any part in this conflict who often are um i would not say apolitical but they just want to care for their health for their family's health in, in patricia's case it's pediatric uh, pediatric cases so children and for the future i think there will be uncertainty in the market patients not knowing if there's going to be sanctions imposed are these sanctions impacting their medical travel what i hope to see is a, a bit of a draft or a bit of a shift to telemedicine because it's a tool that helps in crossing borders often medical treatment can be provided through telemedicine it can be rehabilitation cases or other cases or even just to reaffirm a diagnosis and then get the adequate uh, adequate treatment so i think this is actually a trend we are going or i think it's, it's going to become a trend far more than it is now but um for the future of the medical tourism market what's happening now the conflict is really um putting i think everybody has a responsibility to take part in, in finding solutions for this because the uncertainty is not going to help any of us at least the patients or they're going to be the last ones served. there was certainly uh, uncertainty christian and you and i have talked about this with regards to the contagion effect during the covid epidemic and now we've reached another type of uncertainty and it's fascinating to think I i'm sorry to sound so academic about this because it isn't uh, subjectively it it's it's frightening uh, but it is fascinating from a from a uh, patient flow point of view to consider uh, how that's going to be handled um, dr sinan yes so uh, during these hard times uh, we have learned how vulnerable uh, medical tourism in fact is. So you just focus on a project, you spend your time and resources, reach a certain point, but all of a sudden, somebody decides to hit somebody and all, all the project is being ruined at once. This we have faced several years ago when Turkey had the Russian airplane, I was, I had just signed an MOU 
with the Russian healthcare uh, hospital group. And then this happened and the project was canceled. So as takeaway notes, uh, I would recommend to all of my colleagues who are involved with medical tourism to distribute the risk and not to carry all the eggs in the same basket. That's a, we haven't talked about risk, but really overtly, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what are the risks for these markets as we move forward uh, with regards to this, uh, this terrible war. Uh, well, I think that brings up Patricia. Well, I do really agree with my colleague, Dr. Sinan. Uh, I, of course, uh, have uh, worked a lot in this project and suddenly in one day, everything changes and it's quite confusing and it's quite frustrating too. Um, uh, and uh, from one day to the other, especially here in Spain, in my hospital, uh, our patients turn to be uh, social security patients. So we have to change our mind and say, no, this is not uh, an international patient. It becomes uh, one of our patients, our normal patients. No? This is quite difficult to deal with. And um, I really think that uh, depending on the length of this uh, problem, we're going to have one or other uh, um, uh, one or other situation. I mean, uh, if uh, this conflict uh, lasts uh, for months or or just one year or something, maybe uh, we can we can uh, be back at a, a certain normality. Because I guess that uh, Russian market is it's going to come again to Spain, to Germany, to Turkey, to everywhere. In in depending on uh, how long do we last in rising the limitations, the financial limitations to Russia. But uh, if this uh, conflict solves in, in one year or two, maybe we, could we can have a certain normality with Russian market. Of course, here in Spain, we are working with markets, with other markets that are very, very close to us, like South America. It was a very big market. It was a hard market with no funds, but uh, we are trying to look for solutions like uh, using uh, foundations uh, with these markets too, and helping them to, to raise uh, funds to come to our hospital because they are very close to us. And this is giving some fruits in these two, three weeks. And we are going to keep on working in this way. Of course, uh, teleconsultation is being very, very important. Now we are very mature, we are very used to these uh, devices and etc. So now we are using them to make uh, health controls or make a first evaluation or diagnosis with uh, Russian patients or what patients around the world. So this is going to help a lot. And uh, well, I'm very, very, uh, I do agree with Dr. Sinan that you, that the message is to have the eggs, not the eggs, all the eggs in the same basket. This is the, the best message for me too. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, some of the observations are uh, extremely important for those who are currently in these markets and those who are thinking about being in these markets or 
those who were out of the markets because of the pandemic and were thinking about getting back into the markets because of the pandemic, the effects of the pandemic seemed to be waning and then this occurred. One of the questions, of course, that come into my mind is the impact of the loss of the infrastructure in Ukraine, the systems, the capacity, the physical capacity, the loss of that infrastructure is going to have an enormous regional impact. Uh, Ukraine, big parts of Ukraine are already wrecked. And um, how we as a people respond, how we, as Dr. Sinan, I think said, the creativity, how we apply some of that creativity is going to be really important. I think Elizabeth has lined up some questions from our um, audience. Yes, I have. Um, thank you, Irving. Thank you um, to all of our panelists so far. Um, and listening to your and listening to your stories and your experience, it's clear that just uh, as with COVID, which has been a horrible experience, and I know that we're not done yet. Uh, but hopefully the worst is behind us, um, that there were lessons learned uh, that have been applied in healthcare and I think in people's lives in general. And I do believe that the same will come from this crisis. You've already mentioned some of them. Uh, of course, the increased uh, delivery of telehealth services that was already accelerated by COVID. And now I think this uh, crisis is again reinforcing that that is the way forward and we need to move quick, even quicker than we have been um, in that direction. Um, changing roles of facilitators. Christian, I think um, it would be fascinating to talk with you more about how you've been challenged during this situation. Um, the use of cryptocurrency, uh, Dr. Sinan, yes, I couldn't agree more that it's going to take hospitals a, a long time. I do believe most hospitals will have great difficulty in accepting and moving towards cryptocurrency. Um, but as usual, healthcare is behind what can, in time, what consumers want. Um, so uh, thank you, and um, I do have some questions here from our panelists. Here's one question. Um, is there any knowledge from the panelists, panelists on situations involving Ukraine surrogate women who are currently pregnant? Um, I know this story was uh, widely reported in the, in the news media in the US. I don't know if any of you have firsthand experience or knowledge of working with uh, Ukrainian uh, surrogate mothers. No, <laughs> no, I think maybe that question's a bit too specific. To touch, nobody wants to touch that. <laughs> although, although I might add one quick thing, um, without having any experience on this topic itself, usually to find help in these cases there's a lot of charitable organizations and organizations devoted to niches in healthcare we have the same with uh, where diseases you will usually find foundations organizations uh, who bring people together and who can consult on these topics and how to approach them 
in broad healthcare, you have them, but they're, of course, they are very loaded and they're outcapacitated. But in niches such as this one in fertility, there's usually a lot of organizations to approach if somebody needs help. You know, this would be one access point. So, surrogacy is an important topic and probably uh, one that we could have spent more time talking about in as much as it's a not a I don't know if it's a major, but it's certainly an important part of the uh, the healthcare system in Ukraine. Uh, do you want to do you have another question, Elizabeth? Because I've got one here that's pretty good. Um, go ahead, Irving. So this question it this question is could have us go off the rails into ethics, but I don't think we can talk about this without addressing some ethical issues. Each of us in one way or another has done that. Let's assume a Russian patient can find a way to pay for treatment. What is the reputational risk to your hospital of accepting Russian patients? And I will let the Turkish providers answer first, then I'm gonna ask Patricia, and then Luha from Christian. So uh, I can openly tell you that the Turkish hospitals are totally apolitical and they are very sensitive to country, uh, cultural or religious uh, differences. So I can tell you very freely and happily that we can accept both Ukrainian and Russian patients at the same time and host them at the same world if they don't fight. Because we had this with Iraqi patients, there are two sects of religion, Shia and Sunni. They were hosted in the same world and we have realized that we're about to fight with each other. They must have been recovering quickly. <laughs> yes. yes. Talib? I definitely agree with Dr. Sinan. Turkey has gained a lot of experience in serving for post-war patients or injured patients in the war. And uh, we have served for everyone. And I believe they will not stop providing medical services because of any political side of this conflict or because it's just the matter is health. And if the patient needs it, definitely we will be serving it, providing that service, whether they are paying or not, whether it will be provided in a governmental hospital or in a private hospital. And, but uh, I, I totally agree, we will be uh, serving it being in a neutral position, I believe. <laughs> Patricia, your thoughts? Hi, well, uh, I have an easier answer because of course we all we only attend we only uh, uh, receive um, kids so for us, for us it's easier to maintain our hospital apart from uh, politics and we are receiving uh, now we're not receiving Russian patients but if we could we will also uh, receive uh, Russian and Ukrainian patients no problem that Christian, you had some uh, you had some very direct things to say about this. Uh, do, do you remember the question? 
Yeah, I do remember the question. Um, the first of all, I don't think reputational damages or reputational issues should be on the forefront of hospital thinking. Um, of course it is, because if it boils down to it, the hospital is still a business and has to be to a certain extent operated like one. Now in Germany, what we have seen there is actually, and I cannot speak for, for the entire population, but from the cases we have seen where hospitals refused to treat all Russian patients, first there was an outcry and then it was basically clarified it's about medical tourism. And this is where I see the bigger issue because suddenly the sentiment changed and these, let's say, um, actions of them actually gained favor, at least if you follow certain commentaries on the internet, on newspapers or social media, which I find very concerning because it speaks to a general lack of the population when it comes to the education about and the knowledge about medical tourism, because many of them still have this antiquated thought that every international patient who comes to Germany is actually a rich, affluent, either oligarch or sheikh from the Middle East. And this is not the case. Most of these patients right. are people as you and I and all of us, and they have the only thing they have in mind as some of us go to Turkey or Spain or other places, Germany for, for leisure and travel, they come here for medical treatment. And I think this is the, the, the issue we see. So there is, I think there should be reputational da damage for not accepting patients because it's what doctors are <laughs> supposed to do. Good. Unfortunately, the, the, the reality shows us something else. Good answer. So Elizabeth, were there other questions here? We're down to one or two last ones. One last one. Um, yes, um, I think we have time perhaps for one more question. Um, uh, this is for our Turkish panelists. What was the number of Ukrainians coming to Turkey prior to the war and what is it now? And the second half of that question is, has any Ukrainian sought refuge in Turkey? Um, so the questions are addressed to me. Uh, before the war, it was uh, about 1,000 uh, Russians and another 1,000 Ukrainians who received uh, treatments at our facilities in Istanbul. Uh, about Ukrainian sought refugee in Turkey, uh, I haven't heard any about uh, such a refugee in Turkey. Talib, did you? No, I haven't heard either. And uh, the, the numbers are almost similar. But of course, now it seems to be, uh, people seem to be coming because they, they cannot come. So we cannot guess the numbers at the moment. But I can definitely say the numbers are increasing for the Russian citizens. In the beginning of my speech, I told about two pregnant ladies from Ukraine. So at the moment, we have, we, I can tell that we have three patients from Ukraine. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think we are out of time. And I would like to thank all of our panelists. You've been uh, terrific for sharing the experiences, your knowledge, your information, and a look in your crystal ball to see what we might expect uh, in the future. So thank you very, very much. And uh, thank you to uh, all of our participants who've listened in. And um, I can see that comments are coming in that our panelists are being thanked as well. So um, I wish everyone well, stay healthy, and uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Goodbye.